Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast today. We have a fantastic guest for you, Richie Zacker. He is a multiple-time world champion spearfisherman. He's won tons of spearfishing tournaments, and he also has a really interesting story about a Widowmaker heart attack, but he's overcome that and he is back in the water and uh, really, really great conversation with my friend Richie Zacker. Here it comes. This is Richie Zacker on the Tom Holland Podcast. Richie, what's up, man? How are you doing? Good. How are you doing, brother? Thanks for having me on. I appreciate you being here, man. Rob Chapman speaks real highly of you. And uh, looking forward to get to know you. Yeah, man, you too, man. I've seen you over the years on TV, and uh, I've known Rob for a long time also. So so I'm looking forward to it, man. Nice. So you spend most of your time underwater or what? Most of my time, yes, sir. I've been free diving since I was four years old and spearing since I was six. So my parents got me into it, and, you know, I made it into a passion. It's always been my passion. I made it into a career, and, you know, still do it as much as I can. You know, I actually just got back from diving. So, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm in it as much as I can. Tell me about what it's like to make your, your passion, your career. Um, you know, a lot of people always say you got to do what you love. And, uh, when I was in college, um, you know, I wanted to be a, an F well, actually at the time it was Marine patrol and I was almost done with school. And they changed it FWC and they changed a lot of the, the workings of it around. And I was doing commercial spearfishing at the time with some individuals and I was making really good money. I was like, I'm making more money doing this than I would be an FWC agent. And, uh, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to keep doing it. And everybody's like, Oh, you'll fizzle out. Well, all these years later, I still haven't fizzled out. Even after a, a near death heart attack, I'm still going strong. Dang. What about the near death heart attack? What happened? Oh, so, um, yeah, there's a heart attack called a Widowmaker, which is barely a 10% survival rate. Uh, unfortunately, uh, hereditary got me and I didn't even know it. And I was actually diving a spearfishing tournament, the St. Pete Open, which is the world's biggest spearfishing tournament. And I was having the heart attack and not even knowing it until two days later and when it's the actual bomb went off and I was rushed to the hospital and put in emergency surgery at the age of 45. 45. So how were you having the heart attack and not knowing it? Like looking back, you, you were like, well, I was having those symptoms or, or what, what was that like? Um, you know, so the, the first symptoms started on a Friday night and it was like two minutes of like heartburn. And I was like, I never had this before. And this was at the captain's meeting. Well, I was about to drive across the state cause you have to check in at the tournament, at least one person from the, the team. Um, and then you can go from there. And so I was driving across the state, not much sleep, fatigue was up early in the morning, um, was free diving actually, and just was not feeling good, but I thought, okay, you know, either age has finally caught up with me or, you know, I just, the lack of sleep, which is not uncommon during the tournaments and dove real hard, drove across the state, was just exhausted. It's a big party. It's a, there's over 300 shooters, you know, everybody's hooting and hollering. I had great fish. I had uh, the tournament winning snapper that day. I actually broke the free dive record for most points scored. You know, everybody's partying, have drinking, all this stuff. 
And I just, I didn't feel good, but I just didn't think of that. And the next day it was kind of the same thing going, man, it just, it caught up with me. I have a little hangover or whatever, you know, didn't know. And at the tournament, even though it's in August, I was sweating real hard and just, you wouldn't think that you're in Florida, you're sweating to death, fatigue, not feeling good, whatever, you know, a little hangover. And the next day I kind of slept in all day, which I don't usually do. And the next day I went to um, fire department and had EKG done and it showed everything was fine. And I was like, okay, maybe just, you know, it's age. And then that night at three o'clock in the morning, it woke me up, which is super rare, they said. And my chest felt like it was exploding and my left arm was completely numb. At that point, I knew what was going on and I was rushed to the hospital. They did my blood work, EKG and a chest scan. And they said, you're going emergency surgery. You're having a massive heart attack. And I had my LAD, which is your main artery, was 100% blocked. And on the way to the hospital, I wasn't afraid of dying. I was afraid of what it was going to do to my spearfish more than anything. So did you, did you think that, that you wouldn't be able I mean, you're thinking, man, I'll never be able to spearfish again. That's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, I, I was more worried about what it was going to do to my spearfish than dying. That, and that's hard to say, but you know, when you do it all your life and that's what you love to do, I'm like, Oh, this is, this is really going to screw me up. And after they did an echocardiogram, they, my heart was in really bad shape. I had to wear a device called a life vest for three months with an external defibrillator which if you start having a fatal rhythm, it'll shock you. And by, I can tell you by experience, it does not feel good because I got shocked by accident. I can, <laughs> we'll get on that in a minute. Wow. Um, so my, the way they measure your heart, you know, the average human is 60 to 70. There's no such thing as 100 and 80 being high. Well, I was down to 25 to 30, which is really bad. So that's why I had to wear 25 the, to 30. What? Um, it's, it's called your, uh, your infraction Jackson rate. And that's how they measure, you measure your heart and see how it's, your levels are. And like I said, the average person okay. is 60 to 70. And I was down to 25 to 30, which is really bad. And that's why I had to wear that device for three months. And it was, it was really hard not being able to get in the water for three months because the only time you took this off was to take a, a, take a shower. And it basically looks like a suicide fest and you got sensors and <laughs> gel pads on you and so forth. And, um, you know, it was like, oh man. And, and the whole time the doctor's like, you probably won't dive again. And I'm, I'm just telling him, I'm going to prove you wrong, doc, you know, and I had to have the most insane positive mindset. And I still to this day, cause it was just, a, you know, a year and four months ago that I'll, I will be back in the water. And a lot of people are like, Hey man, you're not going to be able to do it to the level you used to do because, you know, you're not going to be able to keep up because your heart's in such bad shape. And when I had my echo done three months later, it wasn't exactly great, but it improved some. And it, it didn't matter to me because I was diving the next day. I was going in the water and uh, me and a buddy of mine, Charlie Thompson, we went free diving that day, just super shallow stone crab in 59 degree water. Didn't care. I hit the water. It was like the world just was lifted off my shoulders. And I, I was like, I'm home. And I haven't looked back since that day. I, I'm in the water. I, I feel great in the water. And two weeks after I got the, uh, the life vest off, I won the Florida State Championship free diving. And people are like, how'd you do that? I want to have wow. a heart attack. I was like, no, you don't, because it sucks. <laughs> so I would imagine that um, it was like, while, while you're talking about like 
one of the things that you mentioned that was very interesting to me is that you said you had to try to have a positive mindset. Like what were, what was going through your mind? Like you're thinking maybe I won't spearfish again. That's probably very depressing. Um, but I'm just interested in the positive mindset. Yeah. The doctors were telling me that, you know, you probably won't be able to dive again because your heart is in such bad shape. It's not good for you. You know, all the time I'm on seven different medications, you know, I'm in the dumps and I'm like, no, I'm everything I've done. I've always had that mindset. I can do it. You know, they're like, oh, you won't be able to compete with these guys. Well, I proved those guys wrong. Well, you won't be able to bounce back from the worst heart attack known. You know, I was like, I'll prove you wrong. And I have had that mindset since day one. And still to this day, they're like, and no one doubts me anymore because they're like, if you can accomplish any, anything like what you just did, you can do anything you want. You know, now granted, there are limitations I have. I can't dive certain ways I used to, depth wise. Like I, they don't recommend I dove, over, dive over 130 feet anymore which I'm okay with. Free diving, they say try not to go past 70. I've creeped a little past 70, but I really try and watch a lot of things, uh, especially when it comes to overexertion. And that's where, you know, you can really get hurt. And I just, I have to have that mindset in the back of my mind. I'm not as good as I used to, but I'm also there going, I'm still as good as I used to, you know? And it's just, wow. It, it's, it's an insane deal that you have to go through and a lot of people can't relate to it because they haven't because of not many it's just such a small survival rate but even people that have had you know life-changing events you know it's it's really nice to talk to them whether it was like they had cancer or a stroke or whatever you know they're like you you can talk to the you can talk to them because they know what it's like you know you have a lot of people oh i know what you went through no you have no idea what you went through unless you've experienced it and those people that have had those life change events like actually to talk to people about it because they can encourage them because they know what it's what they've gone through and can help you, you know, motivate you. And, and talking with some of those people was really big also. And like to this day, when someone has told me, hey, man, I went through this, I, I will definitely reach out to them because people reached out to me. I have no no problem whatsoever reaching out to them giving them advice or giving them pep talks because when it first happens, just like you have your guts ripped out, you're down in the dumps and you have to have encouragement. I had a friend uh, that had the same kind of thing. It didn't happen in the water, but he had one of those widow makers and had to wear the thing that you had to wear. And it has actually shocked him back. I think twice now, Ooh. Um, but yeah, but uh, interesting. So like a near death, like that's a near death experience, I guess, because a lot of people think like a near death experience is like, I don't know, they almost drown or um, something like like that. Like I had this uh, other spear fisherman on just the other day, Danny Lomas. He's he's Danny underscore Mako mm -hmm. on, uh, on Instagram. He gets incredible stuff. You you probably know him or follow him, uh, but he um, had shallow water blackout and and then he had this very vivid dream that he told us about he called it a dream but he's basically pulled out of death by a vision of his brother and um i don't know do you think that that is similar to kind of what what you have like that type of experience of like a real abrupt near-death experience versus like i'm not downplaying what you had by any stretch of the imagination but do you think that those are similar? Like when you, when you're talking about reaching out and talking to people, like 
somebody that almost died in a car crash or, or somebody that almost drowned or someone that had a heart attack? Are, are, are you kind of surrounding yourself with the same type of stories or, or the same type of people that you, are those the kind of people that you're talking if to? If they or, reach out to me, yes. Different? You know, if they reach out to me, yes, you know, absolutely. You know, because there, you know, it is this very scary situation and it doesn't matter whether it's a blackout or almost drowning because it is, you know, someone saved your life in that point. I mean, they told me if I waited another hour, I would have died because I had a hundred percent blockage. And, you know, that's, you're, you're knocking on the door. I mean, I tell people, you know, I'm one of the few guys that was able to slap the Grim Reaper and walk away, basically, you know, and, <laughs> you know, all the doctors and nurses, they were just like, you have no idea how lucky you are to survive this. And at first it doesn't sink in until a little later on, you're like, Ooh, maybe I was a lot luckier than I thought, you know? And, you know, you still want to have the bravado going, yeah, you know, talk shit going, yeah, man, I, I whooped his butt. In the back of your mind, you're like, ooh, that was a close one there, you know? So it's yeah, it, it's a scary deal, you know? And the when you have a lot of people reaching out to you to give you encouragement, that's the biggest thing right there. Because you just, you're in the dumps and you're like, just, you, you just sort of like, I, I'm, I give up, whatever. And they're, I'm they're like, no, you can't. And any day that I was having a bad day where I'm like, you know, I don't know how much longer I can do this, you know, have this mindset. They're like, you can do it. You can do it. Because here I'm, you know, my buddies are sending me pictures of all the fish that are shooting and, you know, all that stuff. I'm like, oh, man, oh, the lobster walk's going on. Great. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> you know, I, I can't do it. And, you know, and I don't know if I can do it again. And the whole time I'm like, I got this. You know, the first few weeks were the hardest for sure. And after that, it got better. But where you st I started getting nervous was, okay, now the day's coming up. I got my echo. How are my results? You know, am I going to be able to do this? In my mind, I was saying that, yes, I will be able to, but my body might be going, no, the hell you are. You know, I don't know. And then when I got some encouragement, because I thought I was going to heal up more than I did, because I only went up to 35 to 40. And... Um, and that's just above and needing an internal defibrillator. And I'm like, okay, well, I got by that one, but let me see how I go. And when I got in the water, it was just like, I'm home. I'm, I'm relieved. And I, I feel better in the water swimming and doing everything else than the other times laying around the house. And anytime you have like a slight chest pain or something like that, that you wouldn't normally have, it freaks you out. You're like, uh oh, what's going on? And because your body does change. You know, everything goes through your mind going up. Oh, here's the, it's the big one. You know, I'm coming for you. You know, it just, wow. it, it, it's crazy. So when we, when, when your buddies are sending you the pictures at, at this stage of the lobster walk and the fish that they're spearing, was that, did that help you or, or make you feel worse? It helped me. It definitely did because it, it sucked because I wanted to do what they're doing, but it helped me going. I'm not right. that much longer to getting back in the water and doing exactly what they're doing, you know, and, you know, everybody busts each other's balls, you know, all that, that's all good. And that's, to me, that makes, that helps me is, you know, the ribbon and the bust and the chops and all that. And that's, that's how I heal. You know, it's like, Oh, you know, you could do this or, you know, give me a ton of shit and really get me going. And that's what they did. And, you know, it's motivation is basically what it is. And I'm like, it's only a matter of time. I'll be back in. And like right after my right. attack, you know, I basically was talking smack, even though I just barely survived a few <laughs> days later going, just remember, guys, I kicked your ass in the tournament and set a ton of records 
while having a heart attack, just wait till I'm better, you know? And everybody's like, yeah, great. This is what we got to <laughs> deal with now, you know? So you got, you got to walk the walk, talk the talk, you know? So. Yeah. I think though that some people, like if you had a buddy that, I don't know, had something like this or something else, I think some people would be like, man, I don't know if I should send him. Like we just had a killer day. Like Richie would have loved it out here today. I don't know if we should send him this stuff because it's going to make it feel worse. Like uh, I think that there would be there'd yeah. be people that are kind of torn between do you send it or do you don't? Do you? Know? And I think that I think it depends on the individual. Like if your buddies know you real well, they're like he'll like this, he'll appreciate it. Some people are like oh it might hurt his feelings. Well, you know I'm not one of those you're going to hurt my feelings. You know so it's like they sent it because they knew it was good, what it would do for. Them. So and like. Yeah. Right. Oh, you ain't gonna give me a call and tell me what. Oh man, I saw all this and did this. Oh, that's great. You know, just wait, it's coming. So, Richie, what? Um, how did this change your life? Like this experience? Like, did it make you more grateful? Did it change your life? Your 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 um your mindset on a daily basis once once you're back in the water and you're you're looking at at this whole event in hindsight. How do you think this changed you? It definitely did. So you literally, you wake up every day thankful for whatever, everything you have where the time before, you know, yeah, you're like, oh, I woke up great. Now it's like, you know, when you wake up in the morning, you're like, hey, man, I got another day. And it really does make you appreciate everything that you get to do and have got to do over the years because some of that stuff you might have took for granted that you almost lost. So now you you still have it. So it does make you appreciate things way more and cherish a lot of things, you know, even better, you know, like, you know, hanging out with your buddies, doing tournaments, you know, any kind of trip, whether it's hunting, spearfishing, it didn't matter, you know, fishing trip, it just makes you appreciate it more. And it just, it's a great feeling, you know, and a lot of laughs, you know. How many years has it been since this happened? Uh, a year and four months ago. A year and four months. So yeah, still, still pretty fresh. Very fresh. Enough time has passed. Yeah, but enough time has passed, I guess, to where you have a, a perspective on it. You look back and you're you're like, well, I've been in the water now for a year. A year. Right? You've been back in the water mm-hmm. for a year. Is that about right? Yep. And and in that time you've done some some probably amazing dives and, and you you you're back doing what you want to do. I guess the question I would have for you is like would would you take it back? Like or, or did this give you something in your life that, that you're grateful for? Um, well, I mean, I'm grateful for everything I've done. You know, it sucks that it happened. You know, they always say, you know, some things were meant to be, you know, or it's supposed to happen that way for a reason. I don't know why, unfortunately. You know, I mean, I know it was hereditary. And when the doctors were doing the timeline and putting everything together and, you know, telling me when the heart attack was starting and what I was doing while I was having it, um, you know... <laughs> You just you're just thankful for everything, you know, and every day. That's I'm just thankful for everything and just certain things you kind of stay away from now, you know, because like drama and stress, that's not good for the heart. And you actually do feel it when you do get stressed. At least I do now. And it's it's pretty common. So you're like think you do learn from mistakes in the past going, Okay, I didn't feel good when I did that before or was around that. I'm definitely not gonna be around it now. So certain situations, you're like, okay, either I don't even want to be involved or you just walk away before it becomes a situation, not as in like a fight, but you see something coming down. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm good. You know, I don't need to be around it because I don't want to get upset and 
I'd rather be happy and survive, you know? <laughs> hey, you know what? Maybe that's a better way for us all to live. Right? I'm like, telling you, you know, you too know, bad it like, took that many years to figure it out, but you know, it is what it is. <laughs> I gotcha. Well, that's an incredible, um, that's an incredible story. I really appreciate you, you, you telling us that, um, we're going to move to a different, we're going to move and change the, change the mood here. Slightly. Okay. And I've got, I've still have things to ask you about with the, uh, with, with the, the heart attack and, and how you're dealing with all that now. Um, but we're going to move to the hot seat, right? So the hot seat is a series of questions that you don't spend a lot of time thinking about. You just answer right off the top of your head. Okay. okay? Some are fun and some, of, and, and a lot of times it gives us something to talk about for the rest of the show. All right. So you ready? I'm ready. Chocolate or vanilla? Chocolate. Drive or fly? Drive. Text or call? Text. Instagram or Twitter? Instagram. Something you like to do outside of the water? Uh, land hunt. You want a million now or 10 million later? A million now. Would you have a reptile as a pet? Yes. Favorite place that you've spearfished? Baja, Mexico. Favorite non-fishing or diving location that you've visited? Louisiana. Louisiana? Yes. Also good for diving and fishing. Yes. One food that you love? Fried fish. One food that you will not eat? Collard greens. <laughs> Would you rather walk with bears or swim with sharks? Swim with sharks. One thing that scares you? Not waking up the next morning. <laughs> you have a you have a thing that scares you for sure. Uh, one thing that people may not know about you? I'm actually a good guy. That's what that's what they're not going to know. A lot of people know. They hear a lot of stories till they meet me. <laughs> what is one thing that you've changed your mind on in the last three years? Don't take anything for granted. Enjoy every day. Love what you do. And money's not everything. Love it. Um, a movie that makes you laugh. Naked Gun. All right. That's awesome. Okay. And so then uh, some questions from social. The closest call with a shark that you've had while spearfishing? November 12, 2004, <laughs> uh, in the middle grounds on a commercial trip uh, with a tiger shark. And um, it was, I was working for a, a gentleman at the time and seas weren't exactly great. It was like three to four footers, 100 miles out. You know, it wasn't greatest conditions and first dive of the day, first dive of the trip it was a two day trip. And I jump in. Most of our diving is solo diving. And, um, I get, I get blown off the, the break a little and it's in like 120 feet of water and it's like 30 foot of visibility, but very hazy. And there was a couple of nice hogfish that were like 15, 17 pounds out in the sand. So I shot both of them and. I got back to the break because the current was blowing um, off the top of the break, but I was only like 50 feet away from it, but visibility wasn't great. So I knew I was close because of the hogs. And I see a couple grouper, gag groupers. So I shoot one and the others kind of take off, break left going into the current. Well, at the end of the ledge, it makes a hard arc and there's a nice cave there that uh, typically held black grouper. And so I shoot a couple mangrove snapper getting down to the cave and nothing in the cave. Well, I turn around to swim back, break left, and a couple gags had come in behind me. So I shot one and he took off down the break and I was free shafting, not with no line. So I'm going after him, I'm already reloaded and he kind of stops down the break just a little. I, I got visual of him the whole time. He was like a 14, 15 pound fish. 
and I didn't need to shoot them again. And you always look up because you never know what else is coming in, whether it's another grouper, a hogfish, amberjacks, whatever's in season at the time. And I look up and all I see is this giant shark coming right at me hot. And I'm thinking, oh shit. And I just grab my spear gun to get it in my hands because I'm putting this fish on the stringer. And as I grab the, the, the gun and get it in front of me, the shark hit, hits the end of the muzzle and the muzzle comes back and it's right here in front of me. And I have the handle in my right hand and the muzzle in my left hand and the gun's loaded. And that shark put its head right in my chest. And the only thing between me and him was a few inches of spear gun. And its head is wider than my body, and he's pushing me down the break. At the time, I have no idea what kind of shark it is. And he pushed me like, I figure, 80, 85 feet down the break. I'm looking down his his back, see his dorsal and his tail moving. His head's wider than me, and I'm thinking, I'm done. This is it. I'm. He's got me. And it veered off, and when it did, I saw it was a giant tiger shark, which I estimated in the 12 to 13 feet range, just by the width of his head and seeing big stuff over the years. I instantly put a power head on, a bang stick, you know, and I waited like two minutes to see if it would come back. And he pushed me in the current like I was a ragdoll. He didn't come back, and I'm thinking, okay, he probably got my fish. So I swim back down the break. My stringer of fish is there. I sit there for two minutes. He didn't come back. Then I start coming up and my adrenaline starts kicking in because I was scared out of my mind and I start shaking a little. And when I pop up, the boat is right next to me. And it was the greatest feeling right there. I handed up my spear gun, the guy grabbed my stringer and I literally come on the platform with a high pressure 120 steel tank on my back like I was nothing. And my captain comes back and he's like, are you okay? And I'm just stuttering going, tiger shark. And I'm shaking so bad because I was scared to death and the adrenaline. I, he's like, oh, God, you okay? Did you get bit? No. I literally got my jacket, put it on, sat in a corner for an hour, and said five words. He's like, are you okay? Yes. Are you okay? Yes. Hour later, I got back in the water. But that the next three dives, I got him with another person, a solo dive. Wow. Yeah, that was that, that was a really incredible. bad experience. Yes. That is amazing. You know, the, the first thing I'm thinking about is like, is like those scenes in in the movie Jaws where where like you just see the person get sh- gets pushed across the water like and you're you're saying like that shark pushed you eighty five feet and down you, the, you, down you the think ledge. back about those yeah and you think back about those um those scenes out of movies where somebody just gets pushed so far you know like, ah that's not real I mean but it was what you're saying is like yeah like a rag doll. Well, the guys on the boat knew it was real. <laughs> yeah. And when you can tell a story and everybody's like, I mean, I can remember a lot of things detail wise. And they're like, oh, you remember that date detailed? Yes. Days you don't forget. You know, that is one of them. And it was it was it was a really scary experience. And it's like, you can't make that up. You know, they're like, wow, that's just that sucks. And I mean, you know, we've all had commercial guys. We've all had shark experiences. Some of them good, some of them bad. Not all sharks are bad. You know, there's good sharks, but it's getting a little out of control out there now. Um, but you know, luckily I've only had a few tiger encounters. That was the first tiger shark I'd ever seen in my life. And that was my first, you know, view of it. I'm like, well, this is not how I envisioned it to go. Uh, an amazing animal, but not, 
not something I want to go through again by any means. What was it like to get back in the water? Like you, that's your one dive. Then you're going to run to another spot and, and get in again. So three hours later, you're going to get in again. What was that? One hour, one hour later I got in and, but that one hour later, one hour later, I got back in the water. I needed my surface interval uh, for my next dive. And, but that time I had a buddy of mine go with me because, you know, I was scared out of my mind and my head was on a swivel the whole next several dives. And it was like pretty much most of the day, but the next few dives were the most nerve wracking because you that had just happened. It was fresh. And my captain, he knew I wasn't BSing because he had a real bad encounter with a hammerhead shark years prior where it knocked him out of the water, clean out of the water when he was on the surface waiting for the boat to come get him. And he had a stringer of fish floating next to him. And the, the hammerhead hit him on his, his right hip and knocked him head over heels, well, head over fins, you could say, out of the water. And the guys in the boat that were coming to pick him up thought he got ripped in half. And he, he said, he goes, I had a giant bruise on my hip where that shark hit me. And he goes, I, I had no clue it was coming. He was looking at the boat that's 50 feet away that's right there to pick him up. And a giant hammer hit him. And he goes, I know exactly which. He goes, I've seen this before because I, I lived it. And he goes, I sat in a corner and didn't say anything. And his brother-in-law was on the boat with us also and saw the same thing. And he goes, and he goes, it's a carbon copy. He goes, there's no, there's no question about it. You know, he goes, it's the same scare. He goes, would, he had that same scare. So do you. It seems like it would be really easy to not just say, you know, I'm done for today. Right. Like if you had said, I'm done for the today, they would have said, Hey, no problem. Or maybe he wouldn't, maybe the captain would have said, no, man, you got to get back in. Like you, if you don't get back in right now, it's going to be even more difficult to get back in later. Um, he probably would have called me a few words, you know. <laughs> um, um, but he, <laughs> you know, he he was like, "Hey, if you want to take a couple dives off, that's fine." It's like, "No, nah, I'm good," you know. I was like, "But I'm going to have my buddy dive with me, and you know, we'll see how it goes." And like I said, it it was the first several dives were the worst, just because you know, you got your head on a swivel because that had just happened, and then. Later on, I dove by myself again. It was a little nerve wracking, but the next day it was like back to normal. But that that particular few dives after was like, ooh, this is this is brutal. And it's not like the water was crystal clear, so it's like, oh, uh, you know, and might not shoot that one snapper you needed to shoot because you're looking over here going, oh, is there a shark, you know? And you know, but yeah, I, I did I, it. I was going to ask if it if. I was going to ask if it if it taught you anything, like or, or you changed anything after that. Um, I don't think it really changed. It didn't change my style of diving. Um, the only thing it taught me is like never underestimate a, a big creature, you know. Um, and you know, anytime you see a shark, you always have to have your guard up because, like I said, some are bad, some are good. It's just like individuals. Um, you know, some just do a drive by, check you out, swim away, and others. You know, they want to hang out, you know, bull sharks are bullies, sandbars are their asses. And, you know, <laughs> dusky sharks are about the same way. You know, it's just, it is what it is. You know, you're in their environment. So, you know, I've, I've only had one fish taken from me in all the years. I did have my stringer grabbed really? right next to me one time, but you know, all in all the dives I've done in my life commercially to only lose a few fish or have that, that's, it's part of the game. You know, and yeah. probably about, I'd I mean, say about eight, nine years know, ago, I started wearing a device called a shark shield because they started getting so bad and it actually helps a lot. But if they're fired up, you think up that works? Packed, it does. That's it the long, that's the long leash. The cord. Yes. The long leash that, 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 
How often do you shock yourself with that thing? Uh, it's happened a couple of times. So what, uh, in order to make that stop <laughs> is you can drill a hole in the side of your fin and put a zip tie and feed the shark shield through it. So it doesn't wrap up on you. Um, but you know, you can tell if it's on your fin, if it hits you, if you have a wetsuit on, it's not as bad as like bare skin, like summertime. Um, but what's, it's kind of funny. It doesn't matter if your fish are dead or not. If the shark shield lays over the stringer of fish, you can hear them pulsating. And you're like, oh, my shield is on them, you know. <laughs> but, you know, also the hogfish and red snapper like to follow the shark shield around for some reason. They just kind of swim to it like several inches away, you know, and just look at it. And you can see them pulsating from the shark shield. And they just sit there and it doesn't bother them. It's kind of funny. <laughs> That's crazy, man. Uh, I've seen, you know, our diver uses that thing. And occasionally, you know, when he first when he first started using it, he didn't know the trick about the the you know putting it through your fin like you're talking about mm -hmm. i watched it get him a number of times like he's out there and you see him jump uh especially in the summertime when he wasn't wearing a wetsuit like you're talking about but i do i think those things do they do seem to work yeah um, a lot of commercial you know, divers so use them now a lot because it's yeah. just it got the shark population got so out of control if you don't it's you're not really working much anymore Right. What about the shark population? I mean, that's a very hot topic right very. now. Um, certainly with fishermen and divers and and people that are taking shark tours, and you have you have lots of different opinions about it. Like some people really like the fact that there's a lot of sharks around. Some people can't stand it, um, and some people are kind of somewhat indifferent about it. But depending on what camp you're in. It is a pretty hot topic. Where do you where do you sit with the uh, with the shark population in Florida? Um, well, you know, I'm all for uh, fishery management and shark management and all that, but they basically overprotect them, in my opinion. Um, it made it where you the commercial guys came and keep them. The season was so small. Um, you know, the markets become next to nothing from pressure from organizations and so forth of buying sharks. They're like, well. If, if you sell sharks, we're not going to buy from you on this and so forth like that. And I mean, years ago, the long line sharks was, was very big when I was just starting the commercial business and our shark problems, we didn't have many. Yeah, there were sharks out there and, but not like today. And like I said, there's, there's nothing wrong with having sharks. We need them. You know, we all know that. But when you protect something that's, you know, not a problem and everybody goes, Oh, well, they, you know, they're a problem in the world where they keep a hundred million a year and there's hardly any sharks. Well, that's the world. In the U S we have very strict laws on all our fishery management and our sharks are in amazing shape. I mean, over amazing shape actually. And another thing that's happened over the years now is the shark feeding operations and they have to do it in federal waters. Um, it's against the law to feed alligators. It's against the law to feed bears any kind of wild animal, I don't understand how it's still legal to feed sharks. And they say they're doing shark research and it's, they're making money. I understand they're printing money basically because so many people are coming in and it, if it does get shut down, it's going to hurt their livelihood. So of course they're going to fight it, but there is a lot of misinformation out there. There are, there are a lot of people saying, oh no, there's no incidences that happen. There are incidences that happen. They just don't want to report them because if they do, then it makes them look bad. And there's been incidences where they were feeding these tiger sharks off Jupiter, Florida. And now everybody has to wear a beanie cap 
because especially women, their hair was flowing and it was doing something with the tiger sharks. And there is some raw video out there years ago. It's, it's kind of vanished now of the tigers coming up and coming up behind women, especially with long hair that was flowing in the water and trying to either grab them or mesmerize by the hair or whatever. And they did away with that going, nope, everybody has to wear a beanie cap. Does it man, woman, whatever. And some operations, not so much, but it's, it's out of control. And I mean, they, they basically train the sharks just like any animal, you know, they pull up to the spot, whether it's a reef or wreck, whatever, the sharks are under the boat instantly. So, you know, let's say they don't do a shark tour that day. Fisherman or diver pulls up on that spot to either fish or dive. The sharks are under it and everything they hook or spear gets eaten instantly or they get chased out of the water. And uh, one thing that because of being in the commercial industry for so long, you know, bycatch has always been a big, you know, concern. Well, all these fish that are getting hit, they don't get accounted for. So it's a bycatch fish now. And so all these guys that are especially in, you know, central Florida going north, you know, they're out there deep dropping for, you know, groupers and red snappers and so forth. They can't get anything to the boat. So these guys would normally have their one fish and they would be done. Now they have to hook 10 fish to get that one fish because the other nine got eaten. And I don't think that's being right. put into the fisheries the way they believe as in like, okay, that's, that's a bycatch that's dying every time. So they, these guys, you've seen the, the pictures and the videos they are holding a grouper head that weighs 30 pounds. It's like, well, that's no good. Or they're holding a black grouper specifically there, but they're holding gag grouper heads or just the top half of it. And that half weighs 15, 20 pounds. Well, that was a 40 pound fish that is, that is gone now. You know, they could, and they would have hooked three or four right. or maybe five or six of those fish in order to just get one up. And that's just, that's a waste of a fishery there, unfortunately. And it's because the shark problem has got so bad. The commercial guys know it. Divers know it. The fishermen know it, but it's trying to get convinced the right people that, that it's the true thing. And, you know, I'm all for the science and all that stuff, but a lot of it is becoming back flawed, both commercially and recreational. And, you know, there's shorter seasons on, on all our groupers, our hogfish, our red groupers, red snappers. And some of the science a few years later, oh yeah, we kind of messed that one up. Uh -huh. Yeah, we kind of knew that, but it's the only science out there, unfortunately. So until there's a better program that's brought up, you have to go with what's there. So the shark thing, they know it's, they know it's a problem. They do know it's a problem and they're in the works of trying to work something out. But because the, we call them the shark huggers and PETA and so forth is, has so much power and money because, you know, people in numbers, they have a voice where the fishery management, they do the meetings and very few people show up, but you know, they get the, they get the management people there, or I'm sorry, not the management people, but you know, the huggers there. You know, and, you know, that's the end of us right there. You know, they have they have the voice because 20 people versus one people talking, you know, that's like, OK. But like there's people out Midwest state. They're like, oh, yeah, save the shark. How do you know you're out Midwest? You don't know anything about over here, not in the water and dealing with it. But that's right. That's how it is, unfortunately. Well, that's the thing that that's the thing that I see. I see, I have seen that a lot that, you know, you take the Midwest example or really anyone that, that lives anywhere else and they're being indoctrinated so much by the media to say that the, that the shark population is down to critically low levels. And then you hear somebody like you or me talking about, well, not, not where we go, 
Like mm-hmm. you come with me for a day and I'll show you there are not critically low levels. And it's really hard for certain people, I guess, to understand that, yeah, maybe shark populations on a global level could be low, but not here. There's an explosion of sharks, an yes. explosion. And you ask anyone that makes their living in or around the water and there are more now. I mean, I have this conversation more and more lately about like, you know, where people sit in their camp and like you can have the people that are like shark advocates or whatever. But then the people that want to that are making a living as a dive operator that's that are feeding the sharks. Well, they want more sharks, too. Right. Like that's that's good, good for business. But you are going to the same places and you're trying to make a living as a, as a commercial spear fisherman and 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 that's very difficult you're trying to make a living as a charter captain it becomes very very difficult so you have all of these these it, it makes it to where we get split into these smaller groups that can't ever come ever defend the fishery or anything because we're being split so much where my whole m- mantra has been like we got to stick together man fishermen divers yeah. Like we got to stick together, and if we if we allow ourselves to be split apart, then you get run over. Like, Absolutely. and that's what's happening because even within, I mean, this is a, such a, a a complex problem because even within the group that should be sticking together, there are a lot of different opinions. Like, mm-hmm. no, we want more sharks. No, we want less sharks. Like, okay, but we're all out there kind of doing the same, kind of doing the same thing. Like. You're a recreational charter guide or you're a commercial fisherman or you're a recreational diver or you're a commercial diver. We're kind of doing the same thing, like kind of, with a different result, like a different goal. Correct. Somebody, a commercial fisherman is trying to bring back as much as they possibly can. A recreational fisherman is trying to show this person the best time that they possibly can. It all involves being around the water and, and dealing with the resource. And yes. but yet in that group, there's tons of different opinions about what is healthy and what is good and what is too much and what is too too little. Um, it's just an interesting kind of place that we find ourselves. There have been a lot of people that I talk to that are like, well, you know, I, I agree that there are a lot of sharks out there. But the, re- the reason that there are a lot of sharks out there is because there's so much fishing pressure. And I'm like, hmm. Maybe like I'm trying to understand where the, where you would come from to say that like they're saying that the fishing pressure or the spear fishing pressure or the commercial fishing pressure has has taught these sharks that that's where they should go. Yeah. And so therefore when you when you go out there and you're you're you got a twin engine boat or a triple engine boat and it's running out there that the sharks feel that they know that they know as, when, as soon as you stop they know what's about to happen. Yes. So I'm not sure I'm dealing I, – I, I don't disagree that a shark is capable of learning those things. Yes, and they're supposed to be migratory animals. And, yes. they're, and they're tagging these a lot of these sharks, and they're either catching or seeing these tagged sharks over and over. Well, if they're seeing them over and over in the same area, they're not migratory then. They're staying there because that's right. a food source. You know, and I know, you know, for you, you know, I know like permit fishing. I know you guys love that down there. There's a lot of areas you can't even fish for the permit anymore because every one you hook gets eaten. Well, if you're doing catch and release permits, yes. 
how many permit did you just book and just got eaten instantly? You know what I mean? That's, right. I know that's tough for you to deal with, especially, you know, that's, that's well, terrible. It, it, it's terrible. It's terrible to deal with. And what has to happen is this whole re-education of, of what is, what is being an ethical angler, right? Like it's, it's, it would, if the limit is one and someone goes out and catches and keeps 20, that's not ethical, right? Correct. Like that's, you're breaking the law. You're, you're not being ethical. You're doing things that are not in, 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 uh, they're not good for the fishery for whatever fish that is. Say it's mm -hmm. a permit, say it's whatever. If the limit is five and you take a hundred, that's unethical and you're a poacher, right? But Correct. what, where, where we have to go with this whole shark situation is that if you're fishing for red snapper or permit, your example, and everyone you hook is getting eat, getting eaten, how long do you stay there? How many times do you continue to drop? Do you just continue to drop and hook these fish and watch them get eaten? Is that any different than if the limit is one and you catch 20? Like, how is that different? Uh, and it, it becomes this... Well, well, and, and so a commercial person like yourself or somebody that makes their living around the water or a professional fishing guide is saying, we can't just keep feeding these fish. Like we got to move. Yeah. So that makes the job more difficult and you move and then maybe you get a fish and then you move and maybe you get a fish and then it gets eaten and move, you move. And the, the guide is trying to be ethical and trying to be within the law and trying to operate in a manner that, that is beneficial to the to the customer and beneficial to the fishery, right? You're trying to play by the rules, right? Correct. But not everybody uh, take the guy that is that has been working all week. He he bought a two hundred fifty thousand dollar boat. The only thing he wants to do is go fishing on the weekend. He gets one day, and he goes out there and drops, gets eaten, drops, get eaten, drops, get eaten. Like is he like that that educate that reeducation. And he's only got three spots, by the way, mm -hmm. right? He, he doesn't have, you know, 50 years worth of, of experience to draw from like you do or, or I do or anybody, any professional has. He's got three spots and he's lucky to have those three spots, right? He just, yeah. he just bought this boat. He's had it for a year, right? So that guy is going to keep hooking those fish. And, and and not even realize that there's anything wrong with it. That's where the that's where this whole reeducation comes in of like, dude, you got to move on. You got you you just can't keep doing that. That's not good. And that really. happens all over the state, all over the time, and not just our state, all over the Gulf states and all the way up the Atlantic states. It happens all the time because hey, you got right. your one weather window here. It is and. You know, it could be rough and they can't make it to the other spots or so forth. And it's just, it's just a feeding frenzy, unfortunately. You know, it doesn't matter really what kind of fish it is, you know, whether it's a pelagic fish or a bottom fish, you know, if, if, right. if the shark fishery is not handled properly. But, then, but that can be fixed. Yes, that can, you know, and I mean, it's not like the shark yeah. limit. Is, that, that can be fixed because that's an educational problem. Yes. And it's not Sorry, like the sharks, I mean, you're only allowed one per boat. So it's not like you're out there keeping tons of them. And I mean, just a couple of years ago, there was a shark tournament in Jupiter. Man, those people were up in arms. There was like 12 bull sharks killed. And they had it where you were able to keep a few sharks. And they actually had to like basically make a secret location in order to do the shark weigh-in. 
and because it was supposed to be open to the public and but they knew the the huggers and the were going to come out in force and really cause a stir and a riot over it so they made it at a secret location at someone's house and even then one of the huggers got in videoed it like they were helping and then posted up on social media like oh my gosh look at all these sharks they're killing they did this and this and i believe they actually ended up arresting the woman for trespassing and then a lot of these these celebrities that were you know shark celebrities and so forth that were going with what this person was saying when the truth was actually put out there they were like okay maybe it wasn't like what we thought well only 12 bull sharks were killed there was researchers there doing all sorts of studies on these sharks you know habitats you know stomach contents everything on them and it's not like the shark was wasting and then they donated the meat to homeless shelters which as you probably know mark the shark in miami He's big on that. He doesn't waste those animals. Yeah, he goes out there. He keeps his one shark. That's right. He donates it, and he don't he donates it to homeless. I mean, it's not going to waste. It's going to a great cause. I mean, it is what it is, you know. But people give him a flack all the time, and he's like, "Well, what have you done to help anybody? Nothing." So, I mean, he's a he's a famous right. fisherman. You know, a lot of people don't like him, but he's good at what he does, and that's that. <laughs> Listen, uh, Mark the Shark is one of the most un- misunderstood people I've ever met. <laughs> I did a podcast with him. I liked him. Man. Oh yeah, I gotta say, I, I liked him. Like I, I, I have a tremendous amount of respect for him because, like, he he fishes like three hundred, like four hundred day, four hundred trips a year. Yeah. The guy never stops. <laughs> fishes double days, triple days, all year long. And some people just cannot stand him. But he is such a, he is such a a complex person in what he does like he kills sharks right in front of cruise ships and stuff like that and hangs them up and then then donates it to the homeless shelter on his way to the on his way to the to the marina he's bringing breakfast to homeless people and he's i don't know he just has all of these these different things like he he seems like a total asshole, but then he does these. He's got a really a lot of great qualities things. about him. Like he's a he's a he does. He's a very misunderstood person. He's a very misunderstood person. I but you know, I mean, I I liked him. I, I really did. I mean, I could see how a lot of people don't, but I didn't have any problem with him. Whatsoever. Oh no, I mean, I know a lot of. I've never personally met him, but I know guys that have fished with him and guys that know him. And they're like, "Oh yeah, he's a character man, but he's he's legit," you know. And they're like, "You'll never meet another guy like him." And I'm like, "In a good way or a bad way?" And they're like, "No, in a good way." And they're like, "Man, he's he's a cool cat," you know. They're like, you know, how what you see on on his stories and stuff. They're like, he's like that, you know. But they're like, you'll you'll have a lot of laughs with him too, you know. But they're like, the guy knows his stuff, man. You know, and I mean, he does shark research also. He, he tags a lot of sharks, and I know, like that's the thing is he he probably kills more sharks than anybody you've ever met, but he's also tagged more sharks than anyone in the United States. Correct. You know, and it's pretty cool and, to see that. Like it's like like again, it's like these 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 things that are like, you, and and then like people think, well, he hates sharks, but he loves sharks. Yeah. And then he was the first one that uh, that that turned those kids in that were that that caught that shark and they were dragging it behind the boat yeah, down in remember that a few years yeah. ago and they were yeah he he was the first one that was like this isn't right yeah like what do you want to do that for that's disrespectful to the shark he, he put it on his social media and that was a big thing about i mean this isn't a i love mark the shark but i'm just saying yeah. he's a misunderstood 
dude. He he really is, and and I think that he kind of thrives in that too. Like he wants to be misunderstood. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> I think. Um, but anyway, I don't know. This is more about you. This no, is more about okay, you man. than, like than Mark the Shark. But um, hey, I wanted to ask you, like, you were um, at, what what when you were telling me about your um your heart attack and that you have to be careful now about overexertion and things like that. Um, the one thing that I didn't ask you about is like, do you train off the water and is that super important for having confidence that you can go back in the water and, um, and I, dive like you want to, like, what do you do off the water? Now? Uh, off the water? I mean, I do, I work out, but it's all light workout, um, light weights. They, they suggested that I don't do anything heavy. Um, just to, there's no reason to do it. They're like, look, there's, you know, you survive, you know, you can still work out all that, but just do light workout, light cardio, stuff like that. Don't go out there and run a marathon, even though sometimes I feel like I've swum, a, swam a marathon. Mm, okay. Uh, but certain things, um, like if I'm fighting a real hard current on scuba, especially, um, I have to be really careful on that because I will overexert and I can start feeling it in my chest and I just abort the dive or if I'm diving the East coast and I th we throw a jug on a spot on a wreck or whatever. And the buoy gets sucked under. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to pass on this dive because I know what's going to happen down the road for me. And there's just no reason to do it. You know? So I do look at that. Uh, luckily I haven't had any issues with free diving and current uh, overexerting. I was a little worried about that because it happened twice on scuba. But um, no issues there, thank goodness. Uh, but more on scuba that I was a little worried about just because I got more bulk and more weight on me and swimming real hard against it. It's just it's not worth it. So I have to look at that and go, OK, I can't do that no more. Now, do you ever or have you ever um, used like the, the blends like the nitrox or or any of that? Is nitrox that is pretty much program what I dive all the time. Um, I've done Helitrox and okay. I've done uh, Trimix. My deepest dive ever was 285, and that was a straight Trimix dive. Um, I've done a lot of Helitrox, which is like 20% helium, like what they call a 2020 mix. So it's, you know, 20% oxygen, 20% helium. And it, it's great because you're super clear headed in deep water. And it's more for kind of like a, a five to six minute dive, you know, and anywhere from 190 to 220 feet of water. Uh, there's a lot of guys that do it on air and they get narcosis real bad. And, you know, you feel it. You do the trimix or I'm sorry, the trimix in the heliotrox. The heliotrox, you don't have to go to the extreme measures as a complete trimix dive, as in all your decompression times. Those those are the real, real long dives and just a lot of deco where your heliotrox, you can do it like a basically a normal dive, except clear headed. And uh, it's, it's a wonderful thing. It got really expensive the last few years because helium got like, super expensive. But um, most of the nitrox that I dive is anywhere from 32 to 36 percent. Um, so it's actually better for my body than breathing 21 percent, which is what we breathe right now in the air. Um, but because 32 is rated for a, basically 132 feet of water, and that's by, basically my max anymore. So, you know, 32 to 36 percent. 32 to 36% is basically what I dive all the time anymore. When the doctors are kind of warning you about your diving and, you know, that you had had this, do, do they know enough about diving to be like, yeah, well, you should maybe stay away from this mix or, or, or you should do it this way? Or did you have to seek that out or kind of just kind of feel that out for yourself? 
Well, unfortunately, the doctors didn't really know anything about it because they don't deal with, you know, divers having this kind of attack. Normally, they, they die, unfortunately. Um, where I did get some information was there was uh, a guy that works for uh, Dan with Divers Alert Network, and he used to work with the uh, Navy SEALs. And I, I was given his number to contact, and he told me, he's like, look, you can do a lot of the diving, but he goes, if you have an episode, you know, past 130 feet, uh, he goes, you probably will not make it up because he goes, you're not going to be able to, you know, do your obligations on your deco stops and you're going to, you're going to get cranked and you're going to die at the same time. He says, you know, if you're under 130 feet, your chances are way better. And when he gave me that information, I was like, finally, a clear answer. I can handle that one. Then going, oh, you shouldn't do it. Well, why? Well, that's what we think you shouldn't do. This guy was able to give me a clear answer. Right. And I'm like, okay, that one I can handle. I can understand that completely. Yeah, that makes that makes sense to me. And certainly you're getting your information from the Navy SEALs, I'm sure that. Yeah, this was a guy that worked on with the best of the best. So in extreme conditions. So, you know, I'd definitely go with his answer. Yeah. Well, man, I'm glad that uh, that you that you made it through that and that you're back in the water. I mean, that's that's really it's really cool and inspirational really to to so many people that you know you can have something like this but you can get back to your your passion and what you what you want to do it's really cool to see you do that and i really appreciate you sharing that with us it's it's been a a, a cool story and uh glad to see you back in the water i appreciate it and one thing i did have a lot of people reach out to me because of what happened to me and so they actually went and got checkups and there was a couple people that actually because of my story that was out there and what I wrote up, you know, it's scaring them going, man, this guy doesn't stop. And, you know, he's in great shape and he just had the worst heart attack with hundred percent blockage. And I don't do anything like that. And they, they're like, well, I have family issues. They went and got checked up. And one, one individual actually had to have a stint put in because he was almost hundred percent blocked too. And he says, if I wouldn't have read your story wow. on that, he goes, I probably would have had a heart attack and died. And they told him that too. And so I actually had three wow. people over a year contact me going, thank you for your story because I went and got checked up on it because of what happened to you. And it scared a lot of people, especially my age that I grew up with, going, if this can happen to you, it can happen to me and change a lot of their habits because of, of what happened to me. And it, it is a scary thing, and I'm glad it did help some people. So helping one person with my story was huge, and that, that meant a lot to me. You know, because I'm like, if I can help one person, then it was worth it. Yeah, for sure. So if somebody was to, you know, be concerned about this and, and think maybe I have a family history and they would go to the doctor, what kind of doctor would they go to and what would they be asking them to check on? Um, they would go to a cardiologist and they would uh, probably have to do some sort of stress test. Um, you know, that is that's the main way they tell these days, you know, there's a new, there's a stress test and a nuclear stress test and they can tell on your arteries and so forth. That's how they really tell more than anything. Um, but I mean, I'm not a doctor, so there are some other ways. Um, the right. echoes are good to be able to tell, but the stress test really shows a lot and helps a lot with people there. And if it was really concerned, they do what they do is they, they call it, they put it in a cat where they actually make an incision and like stick the camera up and check you out. Um, but that's like an extreme measure. And so like when I had my surgery, um, you know, I went into what they call the cat lab 
And, you know, I had a small incision. They went in through my growing. And I mean, I was awake the whole time. So you can ask him questions. And he's like, you want to watch it? I was like, no, not really. But you can show me before and after. <laughs> um, you know, and it, it, you're sitting there going, man, I, this guy's going in my heart, you know. But that's how they check that stuff. And there are people that have had real bad family histories that actually got that done. And it's that's a surgery, you know, and it either saved them or they're like, no, you're good. But the and maybe they had the stress test and they didn't believe it. And they're like, no, I don't believe it. I'm not feeling good because, you know, tests don't show everything, but that's the one way they do it. So, I mean, it's that's that's up to the individual, but definitely the stress test helps a lot in knowing what's going on with your history or if you have any issues. Um, certainly there'll be some people listening to this that, uh, that might want to go get themselves checked out and maybe you'll, your story will, will help more than, more than just a couple of people. Um, uh, but man, I really great. appreciate you coming on and, and talking about it. I really do. Yeah, I no think problem, it's man. been great. Uh, it's been great to get to know you. I've heard about you and, uh, it was, it was cool to, to, to get together and get to know each other. Maybe we can get in the water one day. I, don't, I can't keep up with you, but you could, you could take me, uh, we, we'll go lobstering or, or hogfish fishing and uh, hogfish spearing in, in 20 feet of water. I'll, I, I might be able to keep up with you there, but certainly, uh, hey, it doesn't matter uh, what you're, you're way, way, part. way out of my league. <laughs> you're way out of my league on the, uh, on the other stuff, but, uh, maybe I could keep up. It's with all you about really having fun, hand. man. I don't know. Yeah, it is. It is. But Richie, thanks, man. I appreciate you coming on and uh, we'll look forward to doing another one with you. All right, man. I appreciate it, brother. All right. See ya. Spend your Saturdays with life on the water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude. Wow. Oh. <laughs> Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss Life on the Water every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. <laughs> the destination for outdoor entertainment. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.